and we are live for the 114th episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. Brought to you tonight and always by Six Pack Coverage. Tonight, Andrew and Alex, what's going on, man? The Yankees are, are here fresh off a sweep, weekend sweep of the Cleveland Indians. Guardians, Guardi- Guardians, Guardians. Indians, Guardians. Okay, that's it. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to throw a dollar in the jar because we got it wrong. Glad we got the first one out of the way right away. Uh, yeah, so look, we're sitting here recording Sunday night, and the Yankees, I believe, have the best. They're tied right now. The, what the they're, hell is going on, man? Right now, they're tied. I want it. I believe with the Jays and the Mariners for the best record in the American League. In the National League, I think it's only the Dodgers and the Mets have a better record than they do, and it's weird because the last. Honestly, the all 16 games they played, the only one that they looked really dominant in was today. And yeah, they, it's weird, right? Like, there's no way that this is what their record is because this team sucks. We hate them, right? Everything's mm-hmm. visceral, right? That's the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I sent after today's game, I sent in the BBB group chat. I was like, you know, for all the shit we give this team, they're 10 and six. They are tied for the best record in the American League, and. All of the credit for that goes to their pitching. I don't want to hear anything about their offense today. All of that credit goes to their pitching because their pitching has been absolutely phenomenal in the well, first think, month of the season. What is there so to say about the offense, right? Yeah, they scored 10 runs today. DJ LeMay, who looks like DJ's been really good. Yeah, DJ's uh, been really then, good. Rizzo has been very good. After that, that's kind of it. Look, they scored 10 runs today, and that, like, by a long shot, set their their single season record. Yeah. Uh, before today, I think it was six, and that was on opening day, in which they scored one run in each of the tenth and eleventh inning with an inherited runner on second. So their real regular season, like nine inning game record before five. today, was five. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So against the Orioles, uh, the offense is still very much not where it needs to be. I believe they've been shut out three times already this year, um, and we could talk about uh, the most recent happening. Uh, there was a whole fiasco with. Miguel Cabrera's not 3,000 hit uh, in Detroit that afternoon game. Uh, but, look, there's a lot that's been going on since we we last recorded. I think it's been, like, two weeks. Uh, we were fresh off, taking two out of three from the Red Sox. Uh, but, of course, when Luigi and I recorded the last episode, uh, it was on the heels of that Sunday night baseball game, and they had, like, 16 guys on base and scored three runs. So the vibe was weird. Like, they'd won two out of three to start the season against the Red Sox. But, like, but we were miserable. <laughs> so, uh, but, look, this team is – to an extent, a lot what we saw last year, maybe you could say there's some promise that they're heading in a different direction. I think certainly you mentioned the pitching staff is unreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how are we feeling? Like, we don't have to go through and recap the last seven to nine games that they played. Uh, let's just hear, sit here and just vibe, like talk about where we are three weeks into the season. I right now would kind of dis- say my the feelings on the eggs are like cautiously optimistic. Because you look at this series against the Guardians, and there's a lot to like. Especially today, the offense kind of finally broke out. Cole finally looked like Cole. Um, You know, Nestor was great yesterday. Before that, Tyone was fantastic. The pitching, to me, is the wild card, not the offense. Because, you know, the pitching's been great the first 16 games of the season, but they're pitching at a level that... I don't think they can sustain, you know, Nestor's not going to be throwing uh, 064 ERA or whatever he has for the entire season. 
So I feel like there's going to be some regression from the pitching staff. And once that regression happens, the offense has to pick up the slack. So it kind of, whether or not the Yankees have success ending out April going into May, it depends on how the offense picks up the pitching staff and when the pitching staff kind of regresses from the otherworldly pace that they're pitching at right now. I would agree. I, I think the, the the pitching staff is pitching at, at such a level that is for sure unsustainable. Uh, you can make an argument that some of the relievers could have that level of production over the course of a whole year because we've seen some relievers have just like insane years, sub one ERAs. I don't think it's going to happen for any of the Yankees, but a guy like Clay Holmes, if he sits around two ERA all year, like sure. Uh, I agree that Nestor Cortez is going to pitch to an under two ERA. Uh, Garrett Cole probably won't pitch to what he came in to say at above six. I think it's down to four even after today's start. Uh, I, I agree, but you also on the flip side of the coin would like to hope that the offense can't be as bad as they've been. Um, yeah. Certainly in, in particular, Joey Gallo, Clayper Torres, Kyle Higashioka, and to an extent, Aaron Hicks, who, who excelled a lot in. And even, uh, even guys like Stanton and Judge, honestly, because. Yeah, I, I would say Judge is as. Well, he, see, the thing is, Judge hit two home runs on Friday and was the start yeah. of that game. And they don't win that game without him. So, like, that's recent on our mind. But before that game, he was as much to blame as anyone on this team just because of the spot he's expected to occupy. And he wasn't having a bad season. But when he needs to be the guy in the lineup and he wasn't, it hurts us. Yeah. Well, so even you take out Judge, like you just said, the one guy that I really haven't noticed has been very, very bad in the beginning of the season is Stan. And you look at Stan, he started off the season very well because he hit home runs in each of the first two series games against the Red Sox. And then he had three hits in that Sunday night game. And since then, he has six hits total. And that's, you know, I don't want to say it's concerning for me yet, because if there's one thing we know about Stan, it's that he is one of the most streaky hitters in the game. And for all we know, the month of May can just be Stan going off and hitting 15 home runs. Well, you remember looking. how good he was in May of last year, right? Like that yeah. when he had that Astros series when fans finally got to like boo the crap out of them because they hadn't yeah. been there in three years uh, for the cheating. And then he had that stretch where he hit a home run like five straight games, right? But mm-hmm. I think the most telling stat was that he has a single walk this year. I know yeah. he's not a guy who walks like 200 he's times not, a year. He's not a judge or a gala walk guy, but in his career, well, he, he has a, a decently – he has a 357 on base percentage for his career, which is, you know, that's good. That's pr- that's a pretty solid on base percentage. And for him to have a 213 on base percentage this far into the year when he has 61 plate appearances, that's very telling. And yeah, the the only like he, there's a guy who has two home runs and driven in eight total runs, but he has the second lowest OPS on the team among mm-hmm. qualified hitters. Outside of Joey Gallo, like even Glaber yeah. Torres is a higher OPS than him. It's like it's it's a very weird season, yeah. and and I think you kind of saw that today when he got his regular day off, but it didn't feel like we were giving up anything by no. like DJ at third and Donaldson at DH and putting uh, Glaber and IKF in the middle. It it kind of felt like his pretty good lineup, and it certainly you, we're gonna get to Higgy too, like having Trevino behind the plate. Um, he's not any much of a fall off. In fact, you could argue that he's improvement from Higgy. So. Mm-hmm. But today's lineup is pretty good, all things considered. And they scored ten runs, so yeah. And there. that's one of the th- that's one of the reasons I think there's a lot of 
you know, ground to make up with the offense, which is why I said the offense is going to have to pick up the pitching because you look at guys like Stan who have been terrible guys like judge who have just been like his, his, I, I know his, his weighted runs created plus is like 150, which is, you know, uh, way above average. But I think anyone who's looked at judge this season has, you know, except for Friday, he hasn't been great. He's been off. And he's another one. He's very streaky. Power hitters are very streaky. And that's one thing we've noticed with the Yankees team the past three, four years, because they built their team on guys that are kind of the three true outcomes. You'll get right, Paul, you'll get Gallo, you'll get Stan, you'll get Judge. All those guys, it honestly, even Hicks the last couple of years can work with that because he's never been a high batting average guy. Um, there's some times where the Yankees offense looks unbeatable. There's some times where they look unwatchable. So, you know, hopefully we get a season this year with more unbeatable streaks and more balance than we did last year where there was only like maybe two week a two week span during the season where the offense looked good and the rest of it they just outside of judging Stanton nobody looked good. We've talked about this a couple of times how yeah you always want to be raising the ceiling like making sure that your your maximum attainability is as high as possible. But the Yankees have had a really really low floor too. And mm-hmm. I think part of that is is definitely accentuated by the fact that a lot of these guys you mentioned are streaky hitters, but they're all streaky yeah. together. So like it's fun, yeah, when they're all clicking at the same time. But you can live with five of the, out of the guys in the lineup like all being off if the other four guys are picking them up, and then a week or two later it changes who's hitting and who's not, and you can live with that, right? No one will have a sustained season where they're hitting like 380, popping 40 home runs. Like that's a ridiculous number that's never going to be achieved. But if a different guy each night is picking up the offense, then you don't notice that everyone's collective stats are just okay. Yeah. You're getting the production you need when you need it to yeah. win games. But exactly. in, in the case of this team, they're all bad together, and it's just terrible and awful in those moments. And then they have flashes of brilliance. Like today, they scored 10 runs, including home run from Tim LaCastro on the bench. Like, awesome, right? It's, it's yeah. Weird. Well, and, you know, last season – they're going to need, or compared to this season, they're going to need more guys, like you said, that are going to carry the team day in and day out. Like last season, down the stretch, the guy that basically got them to the postseason was Stan. I, during the season, the series where they swept the Red Sox, he had a home run in each, he had a home run in each game. Each one was, you know, hit amazingly, like clutch. They had really high, like, championship probability added which for little little sidebar here that stat is meaningless to me i don't know i don't know what your thoughts on it but i don't understand that. it's someone trying to draw conclusions from data and like data is good but there are certain instances like i've noticed more and more and like this is something that we've actually talked about um as really specifically to joey gallo we can get into on this podcast but Mm. the one that really gets me is expected batting average because yeah if you follow that account mlb barrels on twitter they just i I don't but i've heard of it but but basically anytime someone barrels a baseball or what they deem is a a barrel i don't know how accurate like that actual is but every single tweet i see is like 380 foot fly out 
uh, a, a double or a, a well, double is not an example because basically most of them are outs, right? The ones that I yeah. see, and they all have expected batting averages like seven, eight hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred. Like, I think part of that data is is skewed because a the ball's not juiced anymore, uh, b defensive alignments are smarter. So like that, no, the number isn't relevant to 2022. It may have been applicable to 2019 with different defenses and a ball that was flying out of the yard, right? So yeah. you, you gotta you gotta understand that. Data is good, but you have to have perspective on it in some cases. Um, so, I, so something like that, like championship probability added, expected batting average weighted, uh, expected weighted on base average. Like in in small doses, they may be good, but if you're solely relying on that, you're not seeing the whole picture. You and I talked about this last week or the week before, um, right after we co- recorded our other podcast, Thirty Nine Days with Alex and Andrew. Shameless plug. Um, but we basically said that any one who has you know a high expected batting average and you look at the their numbers you, you look at some a guy say stan okay he hits a line drive has a you know 890 expected batting average or something and it's caught for an out and you know people will use that to kind of think okay yeah he's he's doing well gallo has the same type of thing but what I feel like people don't understand and almost the Yankees don't understand is other teams have access to this information. So they base their entire defensive alignments off of guys expected batting averages and where they're going to hit the ball. So you can hit 115 mile an hour line drive with a 30, you know, 30 degree launch angle that has a 900 expected batting average and have it still be caught for an out because easily, easily right? there's a guy standing right there. They align the defense right there. Yeah. So, and, so in, in a vacuum for a different type of hitter who isn't getting shifted that way, is that maybe a, a hit short, but for this specific guy, when the defense is playing him that way, that will never be a hit. Like despite exactly. the expected batting average, like it's never going to be a hit. If he constantly hits it to a certain spot and there's always a, a fielder right there. Let me give you yeah. another good example. Uh, of this, and then we we can move on because I don't want to spend too much time shitting on analytics because they definitely do have value. Uh, <laughs> we like, do that look, a lot. Look at a guy like Miguel Castro, right? Like who who's yeah. been phenomenal for the Yankees. Um, his stats were were pretty good, but the analytics were off the charts, and is a great find. So there's definitely still benefit there. All right, let, let me let me before I <laughs> I go off into too much of a tangent. Um, I saw one swing. I think it was Friday night. Josh Donaldson hit a ball, uh, flew out like the seventh inning, uh, landed about five feet in front of the warning track. It yeah. had an identical launch angle and uh, and and uh, exit velocity as a ball that Carlos Correa hit over the center field wall in Detroit when he was with the Astros in 2019. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, if you're just comparing stuff like launch angle and exit velocity, you're not seeing the whole picture because Correa hit a ball. Um, I would assume it was probably a little warmer, so the ball was traveling a little better. Uh, also, the ball was juiced. So, yeah, yeah like it you can't compare those things as the same because even though yes, the, the baseline, the surface level analytics say that they should have similar results, but like in a vacuum, they're very different things. Yeah. No. And I, I agree 100%. It's like, you can say that someone's analytics and their stats are showing that they should be good. Like that's the biggest thing with Gallo and people who are defending him on Twitter is that you know, he's barreled up so many balls, he's going to be good. But the bottom line is the results aren't there. And you can say 
that he's going to be good and he should be doing good as much as you want. But unless there was results, that it's not going to matter. Like he's not doing his job. Like you can like, think about it. If you're at work, you're doing your job and you say to your boss, yeah, I should be, I should complete this. I should be doing better. And your boss just goes, yeah, but you're not like, if you pour hours into doing some level of, of analysis, right, you pull in together spreadsheets, numbers, whatever it may be, and your end assumptions, like your, your results are, are invalid, then like, yeah, you're putting in yeah. the effort. Like, sure, it should be producing the results, but something's wrong, right? And, There's and multiple you, and you parts uncover that. Things. There's multiple, you know, parts of each different scenario where you can put in all the effort and, you know, this is no dig on Gallo's work ethic or anything because I'm sure he's doing everything he can to better himself and to get out of the slump that he's in because this is the this is the hitter that he is. He's never going to be a 300 hitter. He's always going to be a three true outcomes guy. But until he actually starts showing results, we're going to look at him like he's a waste of a roster space. Because as of right now, there's no point in playing him. Yeah, literally, and, and that sucks. Tim LaCastro hit his first homer of the year before Gallo did today. Like, that's all you got to know about how Gallo's hitting so far this year. Yeah, my, my favorite thing up until Friday when Judge kind of wrecked the curve was finding you know, the other uh, Twitter account that I love, uh, MLB Home Run. Basically just post anytime anyone hits a home run league-wide. I do show, love that account, yeah. And they show the, the total number of home runs they have. Uh, for the whole season, and then like if they have multiple that night, and they they tell you like if it's a solo two or a three run home run or a grand slam, uh, and, and one of my favorite things to do for for like a week and a half was hey this random player has more home runs than Judge and Gallo combined right now mm-hmm. Judge has three after his two on Friday so it's going to be tougher to pull that and and really at that point if someone has more than one and you're really just saying this person has more than Gallo right so that, that's less fun but. Yeah, Anyone so, who's hit a home run this season so far has more home runs than Joey Gallo. Right. Let's and, make and that so it clear. It gets to a point where like like seven, ten games in the season, sure, but like we're we're rapidly approaching twenty now. So at a certain point, it's kind of like, dude, if all these scrubs around baseball are winning home runs. What are you doing wrong, right? Yeah. Like so. But look, it's not all bad with the Yankees. Let's go back uh, in, into like they, they've been shut out a bunch recently. Uh, specifically, Easter Sunday was an ugly game. Uh, last Thursday afternoon uh, when they intentionally walked Miguel Cabrera in the ninth inning and then they got blown out anyway and then they got shut out in the ninth that game. Uh, that was an ugly game, but look, the pitching has been generally fantastic. You've already talked about Nestor Cortez. Garrett Cole looked like he's getting back on his game after not making it out of the second last Tuesday night. Yeah. And look, Jordan Montgomery, Luis Severino, even Jameson Tyone, they're all pitching really well. And I don't think anyone had super high expectations for the pitching staff outside Cole. Uh, I no. thought they thought, well, Nestor's fun. He'll probably be like, oh, he's, he's jokingly, he's the ace. Like, I don't know. No one in their right mind, even if they're the biggest Cortez supporter, would have thought that he would look this good. Three, I think if Nestor could have gone out, like my expect expectation before the season was that if Nestor went out and threw, you know, he was a solid number five He had a, you know, four-ish ERA at the end of the season, had 150, 160 innings pitched. That's a very valuable pitcher to have at the back of your rotation, you know? 
But now he's the type of guy where you throw him out on the mound. He he could be your number two playoff starter right now. And obviously <laughs> it's way too early to say that. But I would have no problem with Nestor starting a playoff game the way he's pitching right now. Check this out. In 15 and two-thirds innings pitched, he has 25 strikeouts. Yeah. Now, I get um, a lot of those. Oh, a lot of those came last Sunday against the Orioles on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I believe he had 12 in, like, five innings, including an immaculate inning and two separate innings where he struck out the side, maybe three. Uh, and it's the Orioles, right? But yeah. I'm pretty sure the Orioles have raised a 5 nothing deficit against the Angels today, so it's not like they're a complete waste with the bat. Um, dude's pretty good. He's, he's mm-hmm. pretty good. A little bit. A little bit. You want to know something even better about Nestor? He, right Obviously. now, is he's, t- he's, in, he's tied for fourth place in all of baseball in strikeouts. Only Carlos Rodon, Shohei Otani, and Kyle Wright have struck out more batters in MLB than Nestor has this year. Where's uh, Shane McClanahan on the Rays on that list? Sixth. Nestor has 25. Okay. McClanahan has 24. Okay. All right. That's, he's ahead that's of Max. Impressive. He's like he's ahead of Max Scherzer right now. Yeah, that's that that's good company. And you look at Nestor, and he's just so fun to watch because he's the type of guy. He's the underdog type of guy that you look at him pitching, and he doesn't seem like he should be as good as he is because he just. He throws low 90s with, you know, he's very control-oriented. He has off, he's just off speed. And pitchers like that tend to be much more hittable on their days that they don't have their best stuff. It's pretty gimmicky, right? Like And, yeah. like, and last year, that's why I wasn't, like, the biggest believer of him. I was happy with the results. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't like a, a full on. This dude knows how. To no, pitch. I don't think. I don't. Because I think everyone expected him to basically be an anomaly last year. Yeah, think about it. It's like like he this was a dude fun is story. So bad. It, it's the way I viewed it was like this dude is so bad at pitching that he needs to do this weird shit like different arm angles and mess with his timing to screw yeah. up hitters because he can't do it without. We can't pitch effectively without doing that stuff. And watching and you know him, like, watching him do all the thing. weird arm angles is really fun. Yeah. But if that's how, if he needs that to pitch, then you know there's something off there. But I think he's at the point where he just does that to throw people's timing off, and as it's more that's more of a gimmick as opposed to his actual skill as a pitcher. And look, even if even if he does need to rely on that kind of stuff to get results, why the hell would I complain about that? Right? Like I realized. Yeah. After a few weeks of this last year, like, dude, why does that why does that get you mad? Like, it works. Like, who cares, right? <laughs> Just let him go out and do his thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and now I could not be happier. But I think the the guy I'm most uh, excited about uh, in the Yankees rotation this year has been just get back steady healthy right he hasn't oh my god he dominate really anything but he's just he's so much fun and we know what his ceiling is i i I, so i feel like people are going to look at sevy and be like why is he not going you know six innings he's being taken out after three innings and 60 pitches and to that i will say sevy has not had a full season of a workload in four years sevy ended 2018 with that really bad start against the Red Sox in the ALDS, where the Red Sox blew out the Yankees, Seve got taken out in like the third inning, 
Brock called him for the cycle. And then after that, Sevy's next start was at the end of 2019. He had like three or four starts in the regular season. Went, came on for the playoffs, pitched up, pitched until the Yankees got eliminated by the Astros. He did not pitch in 2020 at all. And then last year he came up as a reliever and was a reliever for, I don't even know, a month. Yeah, basically a month. Maybe. So pretty much since 2018, which was his last full season, I don't have this up in front of me right now, but I would not be surprised if Sevy has thrown less than 100 innings pitched in three, two and a half full seasons. I can tell you right here, uh, 2019, 12. Now, of course, this doesn't include the playoffs. So yeah, but the playoffs, but like the playoffs, is probably around that. He's thrown, he threw um, 12 innings, 12 total innings in 2019, mm-hmm. six in 2021. Granted, they only used him in four games at the bullpen, yeah. and he was supposed to be their like seventh or eighth inning guy. Had they got past one single playoff um, game, they didn't, and then he's thrown 13 pitches, 13 innings this year. So. You're talking about the last three seasons. Granted, the 2021 season, uh, well, excuse me, 20, 2020, he didn't pitch. It, it was the COVID shortened season, but he had Tommy John anyway, so it didn't matter. Uh, he's thrown so basically, 31, if we, 31 if we combine them, I would say in you know 2019, 2020, 2021, 40 innings. If we include it's 31 the playoffs. in the regular season, and I would say probably not much more. In the, well, yeah. how many? He had what two starts in the 2019 uh, playoffs? I want to say three? it was two. Yeah. He had one against the Astros. Or, yeah, one against the Astros, one against the Twins. I remember because I was at the game against the Astros. Um, Is that the game Cole pitched? Yeah. Okay. And then he pitched. I don't think, and I don't think he pitched after that because the game after that was Tanaka. uh, Game at, um, those, the three at Yankee Stadium, it was Seve first, Tanaka. And then Paxton was the last one, and then it was a bullpen game in Game Six. So yeah, Sevy didn't pitch. Right. He only pitched one he game. He pitched. He pitched the the clincher in Minnesota, right? Yeah, he pitched the clincher in Minnesota. Okay. See, so yeah, he had two starts, and I can't imagine he threw more than twelve innings pitch total out of that. It's probably less than that. Uh, eight point one. Yeah. Two playoff starts. Yeah. So yeah. about so this guy he's, has he's like at about he's total. at about forty innings. In three in three years, you know he's already he's already you know over a quarter of his way there in this season so far. So we can't be mad at him for not getting for the Yankees not getting length out of him. They're, he's not going to throw two hundred innings this year. But you know what? Like if he was out there just trying to knock the rust off and he was getting hit around a little bit, uh, even then we'd be okay with it. Yeah. But, like the results are there, right? Thirteen no, as, hits, on, only honestly, three earned runs. He's allowed um, just a single home run, uh, fourteen strikeouts against only four walks. He's he's back to who he was right now. Obviously, yeah. he's got to get stretched out. He's got to prove he can stay healthy. But that's the kind of production we expect from him. Yeah, and honestly, at this point, I would even, if he was getting hit around, but his stuff looked good, I wouldn't care. As long as he looks good, like the one thing that has been very, very documented throughout MLB history is that the one thing people lose when they get injured is their control. And 
as long as your stuff looks good, if you're Seve, you will regain your control. He's he's still what, 27, 28. He's not a 35 year old at the end of his career trying to make it back after a you know career threatening injury. He's still very young, and he's just he just had his career partially derailed because of injuries. But now he can go out there and he can give the Yankees 140 innings where he looks like his 2017 and first half of 2018 self. That is more than we could even remotely ask for at this point. Yeah, so you talk about his age. Um, You almost forget that, like, because he's been in the league so long. He came up when he was, like, 20 years old, right? 2015, when he came up, he's this this highly touted uh, prospect, and, like, he actually pitched really well in 2015. Mm. Uh, Granted, that team wasn't all that great. We had Greg Bird hit some home runs for us, uh, but... What are you talking about? They they made the playoffs that year. What are you talking about? they, they, They... they blew a huge division lead to a very good Toronto Blue Jays team, I might add, but they still blew a division lead and then got smoked in the wildcard game by the Astros that year. But like Sevy came up 11 starts, his area was under three, was really, really exciting. I think he struck yeah. out about a guy in inning uh, and he was only 20 years old, maybe 21 at that point. I think he was 21. Yeah. So the fact that he we were all so excited is, for him and then he came out and bombed 2016. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is why 2017, him going back to ace was so much fun. But mm. uh, no, like, yeah, was 2016, was 2016 when he had that, um, well, you know what I mean, right? But um, was was the 2016 season the one where they they ended up moving him to the bullpen? Yeah, at the end of the season. And, and then he had, like, all those dust-ups with Toronto. Like, he, yeah. he, he unintentionally pegged one or two guys, and then, like, they had all those brawls, and they kept... Thinking he was doing it on purpose. Yeah, that was then. <laughs> oh, jeez. Those are fun. Good remember, times. I hated Donaldson, man. I hated Donaldson. I hated Tulo. They've both been Yankees since. Remember, <laughs> remember Troy Tulowitzki was a Yankee? That was fun. Um, so Tulo was the Yankees' opening day shortstop in 2019. That's so much fun. Just a, just a little fun fact for everyone. Thank God for Gio Rochelle that year. We, we had no chance. I know. All right. I, so I just... Um, a thing came up on baseball reference that I just want to run past you that goes off of what we were doing. The Yankees right now have a pitcher in the top 10 for pitcher war this season so far. Okay. Who do you think that is? Yeah. See, war is going to be skewed based on what position he is, what role he plays. Yeah. And, and, and the, I'm going to guess Mike King. It's Mike King. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Like, so like yeah, Mike King has been nine. worth 0.8 war so far. Yeah. And like, Carlos awesome. Rodon is on there. Granky's on there. Garrett Whitlock, uh, Michael Kopech, Merrill Kelly, Dylan Bundy, Pablo Lopez, Kyle Wright, and Keegan Thompson for the Cubs. Who, yeah, if you guessed who has 1.2 war for this season so far and is leading MLB, you'd obviously guess Keegan Thompson, right? Yeah, you wouldn't. What are you, casual? <laughs> Um, and for position players right now, it's Manny Machado. It's not Mike Trout. I saw he it's took not the, Mike Trout. I Mike Trout is not even in the top ten. Yeah, I, I just saw that he he leads the AL in OPS as of tonight. Yeah. Um, so he he took that crown back pretty quickly, but. Uh, no, yeah, but the top ten right now: Machado, Arenado, Wander Franco, Keegan Thompson, 
J.P. Crawford, Lindor, Stephen Kwan, Juan Soto, Seiya Suzuki, Tommy Edmond, Cabrian Hayes. Where the hell's Ty France on the list? See, Ty France... Uh, I guess they hate his defense. I, it's probably his defense, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just looking at the top ten on baseball reference, so he might be, you know, just out of it, but I would guess the reason he's not is because of his defense. Yeah, I, that, that tracks. Um, but I think one thing we do have to mention, you know, after bringing up Mike King is two guys in the Yankees bullpen that I would argue have basically saved their season. I not exactly saved their season, but have been so useful as King and Clark Schmidt. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm on the record for saying, I hate how the Yankees form of pitching development is bringing up their highly touted starters from the minor leagues and just sticking them in the bullpen and having them basically be cleanup guys. But right now, if you're going to have King and Schmidt throw, you know, three, four innings every four games or so and be shut down to give them a little exposure to being, you know, to pitching to major league teams and then in the next few, hopefully next year, they have them be starters. I can get behind that because yeah, I, King I and Schmidt have looked amazing so far this year. That, that's the thing. Like, it certainly isn't doing them a service by not having them in a, in a starting starting pitcher role. But mm-hmm. at the same time, knock on wood, so far our rotation's been healthy. There's no spots for those guys, uh, and the value they are providing, like. Cole had a disastrous outing, couldn't get out of the second inning in Detroit. Schmidt came in and saved that game, right? That could have yeah. gotten away very quickly. Uh, thank God Detroit was as inept as us in that game. I'm pretty sure the game time temperature was like 40 degrees, so offense was hard to come by anyway. Mm. But, like, Schmidt really held down the fort, got through, I think, the fifth, maybe sixth inning in that game. And then we just could piecemeal the – the bullpen the rest of the way to yeah. to get over the, the finish line. And Mike King, like, what the hell else can you say about him? He struck <laughs> out seven in a row at one point eight. on Friday night. And he eight, struck out eight total. Eight total in nine innings, including, obviously, that would be striking out like twice. Uh, looked absolutely disgusting doing it. And one thing that I love about Mike King, and part Part of it makes me realize like how unfair we are on hitters, in the, especially on the Yankees, just because how hard it is to hit a baseball. Mike King has a sinker that he throws at 97 miles an hour that has as much left-to-right movement as a two-seam fastball, like like an yeah. A.J. Burnett two-seam fastball. And a sinker moves like down, down too. too. So it's how do you hit that? How, how yeah. does anyone ever hit that? And, you know, I've seen so many tweets and it's just kind of like it's basically become like a gimmick at this point in Twitter. But it's true where it's like, how does anyone ever hit a baseball? Because I play I played baseball the majority of my life, but it never was, you know, overly professional. Um, And, you know, I've seen I've faced some guys who have had some good pitches and I'm like, man, that was really good. But then you see these guys who are throwing wiffle balls out there and. I don't well, that's, understand that's how attack, mind you. contact, you know, like we, we've all thrown a wiffle ball before. We all have managed to throw some wild pitch with a wiffle ball. Try doing that with a baseball. 
with you know, I, teams without adding any sticky stuff to the ball. Yeah. It's impossible. It, it's And it's just routine at this point. And here's where analytics has so much value because they've actually gone into the super labs, right, and figured mm-hmm. out how to engineer throwing these pitches. Uh, that, I think, has more value than, oh, the percentage of getting – and out on this pitch in this count is this. It's like, how about you just feel out the hitter? If the guy can't hit a low and away slider, yeah. give him a fastball up and in. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe just like, like as an idea, right? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, uh, it's no, I, so much I, I fun watching a guy like 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 King pitch. Schmidt is is fun. Like, I wasn't as bullish on him as a lot of Yankees Twitter, so I'll take the L. I'll like I'll openly take the L on on that. Um, I think I like you heard it here, folks. Look, I, I, I tend to be a contrarian, so I think when people, like, go crazy and over the top in defense of a guy, I'm like, all right, pop the brakes, right? Like, I, I, know, like, and like, I, I get that, especially for a prospect. Yeah. Like, I understand. Like, if someone comes in and says, like, yo, did you know that I love Nolan Aaron? I don't even like I was finishing the top five MVP, like, four times. Like, <laughs> like yeah, oh, okay, really? What a hot take. <laughs> Arenado is a top ten player in baseball. Like, that's not a hot take there. It's a scorcher right there, man. Yeah. <laughs> No, and like that's why I I understand people who defend Gallo because Gallo has been in, he was very good for the Rangers for a while, but in his own way, like he's not you look at his numbers, no, there nothing really stands out for him, but he's a solid like defensive three true outcomes guy. But oh god, I don't know. It's like watching people blindly defend prospects. You and I are on the same page here. It's like, okay, these guys have not proved anything so far. Like, remember how everyone was so, like, behind, like, oh, my God, Estevan Florial is going to be, you know, the next Bernie Williams, and he's just going to be so good, and, like, he's going to be basically Mike Trout, and, like, Florial's done really nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, there's all this hype the over... There's all, this hype, there's all the hype over Jason Dominguez, who... You know, he looks very good. He's played very well in the minors. But until he comes up and he shows that he's, you know, the Martian and he's the next Mike, he's a switch hitting Mike Trout, I'm not going to be excited about him. And sometimes these guys need some time to develop. But yeah. like, look, look, look at, look up and down Major League Baseball. That like, it's littered with guys who were supposed to be can't miss prospects and like have turned into serviceable MLB. Careers, a guy who's who's playing pretty well this year comes to mind. Who was like, this guy is going to be the greatest hitter of all time was Jerkson Profar. Remember that? Yeah. How much? How highly? He was a, he was the him? number one prospect at one point, when and he now he's the, carved, the, the he's carved system, out. Right? He's had a nice career for himself with um, the A's and now the Padres. He got a pretty decent contract in the Padres, but he's he hasn't been anything overly wonderful. Like he was supposed to be insane like adrian yeah. Beltre level good and just like sometimes it just doesn't happen so yeah sometimes these guys don't work out and it's a very it's a lot more common than you think like okay look at glaber torres Glaber's a great example yeah glaber was the number two prospect at the time the yankees called him up and yes he was fantastic his first two years but that was when a they were in the juice ball era of 2018-2019. And B, pitchers didn't have as much info on how to get Glaber out. 2020, 
throw that out the window. I don't care about 2020 at all because nobody had a normal season in 2020 because it was 60 games long, and that's you know a prolonged slump for half. So wait, 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 wait. You're you're telling me that Javi Baez isn't the worst hitter in baseball, and <laughs> and Luke Voigt isn't going to hit 500 career home runs? You know, weirdly enough, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Ah, uh, interesting. Okay. Um, but then last year, Glaber was the most league average player I've ever seen in my life. And that includes him playing pretty well in late August into yeah, September. Yeah, he really... Before that, he was brutal. Glaber in 2021, people... I, I Honestly, I was shocked by this when I saw this. He had a 93 OPS plus, which is below average, but not by that much. And I was actually shocked by that. Like, he had a 697 OPS. He had 366 slugging, which that's not surprising to me at all. But I think the fact that he was that close to league average was shocking to me. Because yeah, I expected a guy, him. A guy who's hit 13 home runs over the last two and a half seasons, uh, it, coming off a year where like he, he had 24 as a rookie and then 38 his his first yeah. full season. Like, so, obviously, the, the juice ball. Hurt. He, he's one of those guys who got hurt by that more than anything because he think yeah. anything you put in the air is, can lead the yard. Uh, but something's changed, and they, I don't know why they haven't been able to, to key into like what is ailing him. Is it an injury? Yeah. Is it just the mechanics? Is it his psyche? Like what's going on? It's got to be something, and it's not just the juice ball because you know not everyone went out and hit a ton of home runs in 2019 and then immediately. Went back to not hitting anything. So can we talk about Joey Gallo? He had he had two years where he hit uh, over 40 home runs prior to the, the yeah. baseball, right? Wasn't that like 16 and 17? 16 and 17. He had 40 home runs each year. So maybe they were using a juice ball to an extent that far back too, but I kind of feel like it was 18 to 19 in the two years that everyone yeah. talks about. Yeah. Well, and because 2019, you had guys like – you had Brett Gardner hit 28 home runs. You had – I don't know. That was when Suarez on the Reds hit 49 home runs. There were there were guys hitting you know, 30, hit like 30 for the Twins. Yeah, I want to say Brad Miller hit like 30 home runs or something. Like it was wild how many people hit home runs and a lot of home runs that year. So it was and you know you knew that something was up with the ball, but now. You look at Glaber and he's like, okay, he has one home run, which the one home run he hit was a classic Yankee Stadium porch job. Last year he hit nine home runs. He only had 51 RBIs last year in 516 plate appearances, which I think that's a huge tell that he was struggling last year because he had 90 RBIs in 2019. He was one of the Yankees' more like clutch hitters. Glaber came up to the plate in 2019 with like, two runners on or something, you were excited. Yeah, well, and look, not they, just they because showed the idea me, of him hitting a home run. They showed a stat today on the broadcast because he obviously had the walk-off hit on Saturday. Uh, I think it's since 2019 he has the most walk-off hits in mm-hmm. Major League Baseball. So, like, he still is weirdly clutch at times. It's just, like, if he comes up with second and third and one out in the third inning and we're down two to one, like, Maybe drive those guys in. Like maybe don't wait. Yeah. Like you have to do it. Like I, I'm happy when when it wins us games, but we can win other games where we don't need it to be as heroic and <laughs> climactic. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, you can hit. You can drive in runs in innings before the eighth inning. 
no, and it kills me because Glaber, I think he was one of the more hyped guys because the trade of sending Chapman to the to the Cubs and getting Glaber back, who immediately went in as you know the Yankees' top prospect. He was a top prospect in all of baseball. We were all super excited for him, and then he came up in 2018. And he struggled initially, and then he just started playing really well. And he got injured towards well, the end of the year. But yeah, for the most forget, part, he had a very good rookie year. Like within a year of getting him, he needed Tommy John surgery. Yeah, because he that, he tore his UCL sliding into sliding um, into home. Or second, yeah, whatever. But I and we he, that was that was what probably I want to say first third of 2017. Had to have been. Cause yeah, because if he hadn't, he would have he would have definitely at least made a cameo in 2017. Yeah. But, man, I tell you, it's just there's something off with him. And, you know, that, that's obvious at this point. You know, there, that's not exactly a hot take, but it's like. It's not something that can could have just been fixed by. Having a winter off. Because you look at what he did in 2020, where he was brutal. He looked kind of he looked better towards the end of the year, and then he had a winter off to fix everything, and he didn't. And then he looked better after moving to second. And then this season started. He had the he had another winter off. He's been basically playing second with a little bit of shortstop, and he still looks like crap. Yeah. See, so that's the one thing that like. Remember about 10, 15 years ago, the Yankees made a point of trading away Melky Cabrera because they were worried that he was a negative influence on Robinson Cano. And then mm-hmm. when Melky went away, Cano like became a top eight MVP guy for like four straight years. Yeah. Um, you could I don't know if that was by accident or not, but like I wonder if they had the same concern with Glaber and Geo. And of course they traded away Geo in spring training, so like. It, if he was a negative influence, which I can't imagine he was, but I'm sure that's someone in the in the organization will tell you they believe that, which is such bullshit. See, like, that kind that mindset though is just weird because you look at the two of them, and I would have taken Geo in a heartbeat over Glaber. Yeah, me too. And you look you compare Melky Cabrera and Cano at the early stages of their careers. Obviously you want to take Cano because he's the one that has the higher ceiling, so you'd trade Melky. So yeah. I feel like you want to trade this person with the higher ceiling, you go with Geo because even though Glaber might have an equal to or higher yeah, ceiling. I would say Glaber probably has the higher ceiling. The question is, Glaber has the, the way the lower of, floor. Of yeah. Glaber's floor is way lower. Yeah. That's and that's true. obvious because he was so bad last year where Geo, the three years he was with the Yankees, he was pretty consistently good and yes. even when he wasn't hitting he was still putting up gold glove level defense this is actually a pretty pretty good transition as we we kind of begin to, to wrap this up uh just been you know it's just just chilling for like what 45 minutes at this point yeah. uh, this has been it's been just cool it's this has just been us basically getting everything off our chest for the last two yeah. weeks <laughs> but like, like let, let's look forward to uh the week ahead for the yankees uh, we've been talking a bunch about Glaber Torres, so naturally what comes to mind is the Baltimore Orioles, who mm-hmm. he completely owned a couple of years ago and hasn't quite yet since. 
Um, so the Yankees did not do a good job when they first played the Royals this year, three games of Camp New York, losing two out of three. Uh, and they scored a combined six runs in those three games. So, like, that's terrible. Five of those were um, in one game. Yeah, and so they have an opportunity to right that ship. Coming off winning five of their last six games, they get the Orioles at home. They're off tomorrow, Monday, uh, unless Monday's today when you're listening to this. They're off today. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The Orioles come into town for three games to wrap up this homestand. Then the Yankees head out to Kansas City and then Toronto after that. So that's the, the next nine games or is that game? Is that series in Toronto three or four? Three. Three, I think. And then the two yeah. back in the All right. So those are the nine games ahead. Uh, you made a good point earlier before we we started recording here that the week ahead is going to be a good indicator if what we've seen over the last week and a half against inferior competition, the Orioles, Tigers, and Guardians, is any indication of where this team is, right? So, like, is losing two out of three against the Orioles in Baltimore the anomaly, or was sweeping Cleveland the anomaly? Yeah, because they have looked like two different teams since then. Correct. You know, one was in Baltimore. They looked like they could not they could not hit Orioles pitching. The Orioles pitching, even though to start the season has actually been very good, the Orioles are not a good team. They are not going to have good pitching. That's an anomaly in itself right there. But the Yankees right now have to prove that that series also was an anomaly and that they can hit the Orioles pitching because they today they went up against a pretty solid pitcher Aaron Savali and they knocked him out after three innings and hit, gave six or scored six runs against him where they couldn't score they scored that same amount in three games against the Orioles like that's two different teams right there so I feel like after Thursday, we will kind of have a better idea of what this team is like. If they go out and they sweep the Orioles and they the offense looks solid at minimum, I'll be like, okay, Orioles series was an anomaly. But if they go out and they, you know, they barely win two out of three, one of those is like a one-run game that they shouldn't have won, but they did because the Orioles screwed up and made a big error late in the game or something like that, then, and that's, you know, optimistic, then we'll kind of have an idea of, all right, yeah, they're not as good as they were this past weekend. Yeah, so you look at the Yankees' schedule, that they're they're closing up a, a pretty soft part of their schedule. After starting off the year against Boston and then Toronto, and they did take four to seven from those, but then you look at three against Baltimore, three against Detroit, three against Cleveland, three more against Baltimore, three against Kansas City. Those are, what is that, 15 games that, like, you got to get fat off of. Uh, if the yeah. Yankees were, were struggling in those first seven games against pretty decent teams, at least here's your chance to figure out what's wrong with the offense, for the, the bullpen to figure it out, the starters to get stretched out. Uh, I say figure out the ball, but I mean, like, just, like, stay in the zone, not recover from anything mm-hmm. they did poorly. No, I, I get you what you're me. saying. I, and I kind of told myself, like, of those 15 games, it'd be nice to win 11. I know that's asking a lot to go 11 and 4. I, I think that, I think that is a bit of a pipe dream, but honestly, if they can go 9 and 6 and fit in those 15 games. Well, right I, now they're, what, 6 and against, 3? What, against Baltimore, Detroit? 
and um, Cleveland. They're six and three Cleveland. in those nine games. Yeah. So you have five, uh, six games left. They'd have to go five and one to hit that eleven win mark. But I, I, I'd still like. Which to hit I think 10. they can do if they go against. They if they show that they're the team from this past weekend, and they go out there and they take five of six from Baltimore and Kansas City, they can do that. But at the same time, they can just as well take two of six from Baltimore and Kansas City. Yeah, you know the only you know what scares me is that you have you have a Thursday afternoon game against Baltimore, a one o'clock getaway day, and, and just over the last year or two, that's just kind of been the Thursday you know, well, afternoon getaway days. I feel like there's got to be a stat somewhere that shows like the Yankees have got to have like a two like a 20 percent win percentage in getaway days because how many times in the past year and a half have we seen the Yankees win the first two games of a series and then in the getaway day that's like you know a Thursday or a Sunday afternoon one of those two that they just completely blow it and they can't yeah there's been way too many to even count it's not even like that they just don't show up in those games. A lot uh, over the past few years, Aaron Boone's kind of throw out like, a, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Let's, let's play all the scrubs. No, I, I, I do agree that some of it is a lot on Boone's bullpen management. It's not all because you can't blame the Oh, I meant like the, 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 the starting lineup. But yeah, oh, so the, the lineups too. But, you know, years. sometimes he'll, you know, he doesn't want to throw out, you know, a good, he'll say Holmes pitched three of the last four days, he doesn't want to throw Holmes out there. So instead he throws out someone like, I don't know, Marinaccio, which just completely hypothetical, who, you know, isn't as good as Holmes or is not, is not as proven as Holmes. So, yeah, it's... The off day tomorrow helps then, like, kind of reset the... The off day so tomorrow at helps most, At most, you would have someone going three straight days by Thursday against the Orioles. Mm-hmm. And hopefully by that point, you already have at least one win in the bag, ideally two, and you're going for a third. But um, at worst, you kind of split those first two games and you just got to nail down Thursday and take two out of three and get the hell out of here mm-hmm. uh, with a 5-1 uh, homestand. Well, and in this in this upcoming series, they're going to have Seve, Montgomery, and Tyone pitching. So you'd think they'd have a good shot, especially at Yankee Stadium against a Baltimore team who is not going to be good. On paper, the Orioles yeah, should not. You say that hit. until Trey Mancini hits four home runs in the series against. Yeah, us. I know exactly. <laughs> Austin That's... Hayes, who hasn't really done anything in his career against the Yankees, probably is just gonna go off just because you said that. Yeah, exactly. Oh god. But yeah, so look, like that's kind of like where we're at. The Yankees have been a lot of fun at times. They've been really frustrating at other times. Today they were so fun. Yeah. You know, last. Thursday against the Tigers, they were not. They're painful. Yeah. But, but so but, it's a lot of ups and downs, and that's what we saw last year. But yeah. I think their ceiling this year is higher than it was last year. So if they can come close to that, I think they'll be better. And they've shown that they can be better than the team last year so far. Yeah. So hopefully the team just keeps the good vibes going, uh, keep the good times rolling. And we'll be back here hopefully in a week, wrapping up six more successful games. Uh, Let's hope so. I'm not going to throw a record out there because then I'm just going to be disappointed. But we're going to (laughs) get to see two starts from Seve, one from everyone else. And 
hopefully the offense starts locking in. Maybe we have some good things to say about Joey Gallo because I'm getting really sick and tired of bitching about this dude on the podcast. I'm just getting <laughs> sick about bitching about him on, on my Twitter too. Like it's not even fun anymore. Like it was it, for a period it was like I enjoyed it because there were some people who were just defiantly supportive of him. And I'm yeah, like, but now it's now it's just not. At this point, we're almost a month into the season. You're like, okay, I, I've run out of things to say about him. I'd very happily be wrong and have him start to go off and have all those people who were super supportive of him yeah. be right. Like, I, I'll deal with that if the end result is my team benefits from it, right? But, like, uh, let's let's believe it when we see it. <laughs> um, I want to wrap up here? Yeah, let's wrap up here. Okay. All right. So, but for Andrew and Alex... This has been the Bronx Modern Battle Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yep, see you later. <laughs>